Well, good morning. You've made it. You've made it here this morning. You know, I wore my PJs this morning. Uh, I know I'm glad all you guys did too. I'd be really embarrassed if you didn't. Did you open presents this morning? You did. Kid, you opened presents? My family, uh, we, we chose to just open one and we'll do the rest. We had to get the whole, had to get the whole thing in at one, hello, there we are. We had to get the whole, uh, the whole set in, so we couldn't do it all. We decided just to do one, and then we would do the rest later. But you know, one of the most, the most important parts of Christmas morning is, besides the gifts, is the reaction to gifts, right? The reaction to gifts. The, the one who is giving the gift is watching for the reaction of the person who has received that gift. Uh, when I was a kid, some, somehow we... We started this, this thing where we would always say, well, that's just what I always wanted. Uh, and it kind of became a joke because it didn't matter if, if it was big or small or the worst gift ever. What would come out of our mouth was, well, that's just what I always wanted. The reaction to gifts, it, it matters. And there are different reactions. There could be surprise. You didn't know that you were receiving that gift. There could be uh, joy. You're really glad that you received that gift, there could be disappointment. You didn't get the thing that you hoped that you were getting. Um, there could be confusion. What is this? Why did he give me a half bag of Cheetos? Uh, the one who gives the gift, though, is watching for the reaction. That was the best part uh, about Christmas. My, my grandfather, he didn't care so much about what he received. He cared about the reaction of uh, the people that he was giving the gift to. And so he was watching them open the present. He he was watching them. He wasn't watching their hands. He wasn't looking around the room. He wasn't worried about the trash. He was watching their face because he he wanted to see their their reaction. He was watching their face with joy on his. The, The reaction to the gift means everything to the giver. And so we're going to look at that this morning very briefly in the scriptures. Luke chapter 1, God gave Mary a gift, and what we have in Luke chapter 1 is Mary's reaction to that gift. So a little bit of context for you, uh, where, where we're going to be diving in. We're going to start in verse 46, but, but the angel Gabriel has showed up, and he's told Mary, you're going to have a baby, and, and this baby is, is going to be the king over Israel, and he's going to be king forever. He's going to be the son of God, and, and as a sign, Mary uh, your relative Elizabeth, she, even though she's old, even though she's barren, she's pregnant. So Mary goes to see Elizabeth, her relative, to see if these things are so. And sure enough, she gets there, and Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And so Mary sees this, and she responds with this song in Luke chapter 1. She responds with this song. It's, it's a reaction It's her reaction to the gift that God is giving her. Now, Mary's song, I'm a sucker for Christmas songs. I love it when 95.5 just starts playing only Christmas music. I'll turn that thing on. It doesn't matter what song it is. It doesn't matter who's singing it. I love it. We'll put it on. It'll be great. Um, I'm a a sucker for Christmas songs. I even like the newer Christmas songs. You know what I mean? The the newer Christmas songs where... uh, 
you know, some band has come out with their Christmas album and they, they write their own Christmas song. I even like, I even like those. I, I like it all. But really, I, nothing beats old Christmas songs. You know what I mean? Like the old ones. Um, you know, the, the, the ones that, you know, Bing Crosby, those kind of things. The, the, those are the ones that I really enjoy. Nothing beats an old Christmas song. But what we have in Luke chapter 1 is not just an old Christmas song. It's the first Christmas song. It's the first one. And Mary's song here in Luke chapter 1 is, is a reflection on songs that are even older than that. You know, there are songs all throughout the Bible. In Exodus chapter 15, there's a song. Uh, the people of Israel, they go through the Red Sea on dry ground. And, and God rescues them from the hands of the Egyptians. And, and Moses teaches them a song. Listen to how this song goes. It, it, it says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. That's the song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15. Well, Mary's also reflecting on, on another song, Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, Hannah is a barren woman that God blesses with a child. If we were to sit here and read all of Hannah's song next to Mary's song, you would see Mary is just repeating a lot of what Hannah has already said. She, it's like she's seeing herself in Hannah in, in 1 Samuel. And Hannah's song starts like this. My heart exults in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. Well, there's another song that I think uh, maybe Mary is reflecting on. Uh, King David wrote Psalm 34. David, uh, he, he writes this song in response to his time. He is, he is uh, among his enemies, the Philistines, and God delivers him out of the hand of the Philistines. And so David writes this song, Psalm 34. Listen to what David writes. It, it starts like this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His Praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And we could go on and on at all the different songs that, that set the stage for Mary's song. But the people of God respond to the work of God with praise and by recounting his work. We see it over and over and over again. And Mary's song follows in the footsteps of these much older songs. And if you can listen closely, you can hear their refrain. So let's look. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. This is Mary's song. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry 
with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the song that Mary sings in response to the news that she has received and in response to the gift that she's been given. And we can think of this song kind of organized into three different parts. The first part is Mary's rejoicing. In verses 46 through 47, you have Mary's rejoicing. It says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Those two lines are parallel. That's uh, Hebrew poetry. It uses this idea of parallelism, where the two lines basically mean the same. They explain one another. The first line is, my soul magnifies the Lord. What does it mean to magnify? It means to make something bigger, to, to enlarge something so that you can see details that you couldn't otherwise see. So if we were to see a snowflake, man, I was hoping it was going to snow. I, was, I, I felt it. I felt it coming. It got cold, but it didn't snow. But if you, if you see a snowflake, a snowflake is beautiful, isn't it? But if you could put it under a microscope and you could zoom all the way in, and you could enlarge uh, what's so tiny. You could enlarge. You would see even more detail that would make you think it's even more beautiful than you ever would have known. That, that's what it means to, to magnify. Um, figuratively, it means that you're going to hold something up so that it can receive even more praise. So when we say we're going to magnify the Lord, it means we're going to examine him even more carefully. We're going to look at the details of his greatness, and we're going to make it more visible to others so that they can also praise him and also give him glory. We're going to magnify the Lord. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. That, that is the very innermost of her being from her mission control, the depths of, of who she is magnifies the Lord. Well, this parallel line kind of explains what she means by that. It says that her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. Her, her response to the gift that she has been given is joy. Mary is praising God with joy that comes from the depths of her being. This is her response to the gift that God has given. It is joy and worship. Well, these two lines here really serve as the title of the song. Even yeah, maybe in your Bible, the, the heading there says the Magnificat. If you've ever wondered, you've heard that before, you've ever wondered what that is, that's like the Latin translation of the Greek word for magnify. Um, that's just like the title of the song, the Magnificat. It is Mary magnifies the Lord. That is the title, and the rest of these verses are her magnifying the Lord, examining the details of God that she wants us to see that we can also give him glory. So in verses 48 and 49, the second part is we have what God has done for Mary. What God has done for Mary. In verse 48, it says that he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary has called herself the servant of the Lord. In verse 38 earlier, she has said, I am the Lord's servant. I'll do whatever you say. She is the servant of the Lord. And by the world's standard, Mary is low. She is low. She, she is a low person, so much so that the eyes of people who matter, that their eyes would just pass right over 
her. Kings and rulers, the rich and the famous, would probably have their noses turned up so high that they they couldn't even see Mary. You know, she was a, a young teenager living in the middle of nowhere. She was poor. She was about to marry a man who was also poor. She was really nothing in the context of the Roman Empire. But Mary says here, I magnify the Lord. Mary magnifies the Lord because God knows her name. Even though she's low, God knows her name. He has called her to his purpose. Kings and rulers, the rich and the famous, they could not look upon her. But she says here, God has looked upon me. God has looked upon Mary. He has done something miraculous in her. God has given her a gift. So much so that she says, all generations will call me blessed. The first blessing that she receives is actually from her relative Elizabeth, just right right previous to this in the text. Mary shows up to visit her her relative Elizabeth, and and Elizabeth says, when the baby in my womb heard your voice, Mary, that baby leapt with joy. From now on, all people will call you blessed. She, She blesses Mary. And that's the first of many blessings that would come. So Mary magnifies the Lord. Mary also magnifies the Lord in verse 49. She says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. He who is mighty. All throughout the Bible uh, in the Old Testament, God is a mighty warrior. He is a mighty warrior who acts on behalf of of others. For example, Ze- Zephaniah chapter 3 verses 16 to 17 says this, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And in Exodus chapter 15, the song of Moses, Moses says this about the Lord, The Lord is a man of war. He is a mighty warrior, the mighty one who acts on behalf of his people. And and Mary says this mighty one who who has throughout history acted on behalf of his people has now acted on my behalf. God has included Mary in his plan to save the whole world. And so at the end of verse 50, at the end of verse 49, she summarizes. Holy is his name. Holy is his name. To to be holy is to be other. It's to be separate. It's to be different. God is set apart from every other part of creation. There is no one like him in heaven or on earth. He is completely different. Mary says holy is his name. Just not that God is holy, but his name is holy. That means the very essence of his being. It doesn't get any deeper than that. Holy is his name, and specifically with regard to his might. There is no one like our God with regard to might. In the way that that a mighty warrior like God, this man of war, would stop and notice someone as low as Mary and act on her behalf. Who else is like this? What other person would act in this way? Mary says, no one, because holy is his name. And so in verse 50, Mary says, 
His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy is for those who fear him. This word mercy, that that signals something for us. In the Old Testament, there's this specific word that's used in the Old Testament that, that English translators aren't really sure the best way. Not one word doesn't really capture this translation. And so what, what they'll say is they'll say things like loving kindness or steadfast love. And sometimes they go with mercy and sometimes they go with faithfulness. Sometimes they go with loyalty. They're not really sure one word doesn't, doesn't really capture this, this meaning. Well, that's the word that shows up here in Luke chapter one with mercy. This is speaking of God's covenant love for his people. This, this love, this loyalty, this faithfulness and mercy and kindness Mary says God's loyalty to his people has caused God to consider me as a part of his plan to save the world. His mercy is for those who fear him. This mercy isn't just for Mary. It's for those who fear him. From generation to generation. Generations past, generations present, generations future. From generation to generation, his mercy is for those who fear him. This month, our series has been Fear Not. We've been looking at the different times that an angel would show up to a human in the Christmas story and say, oh, don't be afraid. Well, here Mary is saying the exact opposite. She's saying God's mercy is for those who fear him. And fear is okay as long as you're fearing the right thing. Those that fear God are those who recognize who he is and submit to him in obedience. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the book of Proverbs says. The ones who fear the Lord are the ones who obey him, the ones who acknowledge that he alone is God and he alone deserves our final and full loyalty. So, so far in this song, Mary is magnifying the Lord. She begins by saying, this is what he has done for me. But then in verse 50, she starts to to shift. And it's not just what he has done for me, but it's what he does for others. His mercy isn't just for her, but for those who fear the Lord throughout generations. And now she shifts. This is what he does in general. This is what he will do for everyone. In verses 51 through 55. In verse 51, Mary says, He has shown strength with his arm. In verse 49, the Lord acted on her behalf because he is a mighty one. And here she says that same might is available to any who fear him. The same might that acted on behalf of Mary is available to us. His strong arm, this idea of a strong arm, it points backwards to the Exodus. The biblical authors refer to this salvation where God has saved the people of Israel out of Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea. They they speak of this in these terms of his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. Well, then the prophets later come along and they repurpose this language. They say that not only did God save his people from the Exodus with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, there's a future salvation that is coming, that he's going to save his people again with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And Mary recognizes this. She, she 
alludes back to the Exodus, but she also points forward to this future salvation. She says he has shown strength with his arm. He will continue to show strength with his arm. In the remaining verses of this song, she explains what that looks like specifically. In summary, God is going to turn everything upside down. At the end of verse 51, it says that, uh, it says that he has scattered the proud. There's a story in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Maybe you have heard this story before. The people decided to build a tower as a monument to their vain pride. They wanted to make a name for themselves, to demonstrate their own greatness. And, and the text shows us that, that God looks at the, he, he has to come down and look at this little tower. He laughs at their little tower. And he scatters them over the face of of the earth. He has scattered the proud. This is the kind of thing that God does. The Bible tells us over and over and over again that God opposes the proud. Woe to the ones who try to make their own name great. Better to let the Lord exalt you in due time than to exalt yourself and be humiliated by the one who turns things upside down. For holy is his name. In verse 52, it says that he has brought down the mighty. God alone is mighty. He is a mighty one. Kings and those who rule over the people of the earth do so at the pleasure of God. Those with authority only have authority because God has given it to them. So when God decides to depose someone, they are indeed dethroned. Those with Power in our world are not as secure as they think they are. See, with a word from the Lord, they will come tumbling down, for holy is his name. See, God turns things upside down. In verse 52, the second half, it says that God has exalted the humble. That's the, that's the scripture that resounds all throughout. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, there's no chance that you and I would ever know Mary's name outside of the Christmas story. No chance. But she was this humble servant of the Lord, and God chose to use her in a mighty way, so now that all generations call her blessed. I want you to know this morning that there is a promise of exaltation for those who would humble themselves before the Lord. But that promise is not necessarily for the present. Rather, it's a promise for the end of all things. When the righteous will be vindicated, the Lord Jesus returns. He makes everything right, and those who have humbled themselves will be shown to be the ones of importance. Because holy is his name. In verse 53, God turns things upside down. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent empty away. On that day when the Lord Jesus returns, he will execute justice. That's what this verse means. There will be justice. This is not a reference to the rich in general, but rather to those who have become rich on the backs of others. Mary, Mary's not saying that it's wrong to be rich, although Jesus does warn us that wealth makes it more difficult to follow after him. This is not a statement against those with means, but rather a statement against those that would exploit others and hoard selfishly that which God has given them. 
On the day of the Lord, there will be justice. When Jesus returns, justice will prevail. The righteous who have suffered under the hand of the wicked will be rewarded and the wicked will be judged. Why? Because holy is his name. And finally, the last two verses tell us that God has helped his people because he's committed to his promises. God has helped his people because he's committed to his promises. It says that he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. There's that word mercy again. That, that's signaling his covenant, his promises to his people. You know, God makes lots of promises in the Bible. God promised in the Garden of Eden, he said that, that the seed of the woman, that a descendant of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. That one day death and sin and Satan would be ultimately and finally defeated, that that day was coming. And then God promised Abraham that one of his offspring would fulfill that promise. That one of Abraham's offspring would bless the whole world. And then God promised David that one of his descendants would sit on his throne. That one of David's descendants would be the son of God and fulfill all that was promised to Eve and all that was promised to Abraham. And God's people waited in darkness until that promised seed, that promised Savior would come. Well, in Mary's song, she announces that day has come. He has helped Israel by sending Jesus in remembrance of his mercy, in remembrance of his commitment to this promise, his loyalty to his people. He has helped Israel. This is Mary's response to the gift that God has given her. What, what was her response? What was it? Worship. Her response was worship, to magnify the Lord, to highlight his character, that he is strong, and he is holy, and he is just, and he is loving, and he is merciful. She announces his deeds. That's what the people of God do. We, we recount what God has done, and we say what he is going to do, that he's going to make all things right. He's going to keep his promises. This is Mary's response to the gift that was given to her. But I want to tell you this morning that the gift given to Mary is a gift given to us. She says that God has helped Israel. Who is Israel? Israel is the offspring of Abraham. That's who Israel is. Well, Paul tells us in the book of Galatians that those of us who place our faith in Jesus are also the offspring of Abraham, not by blood, but by faith. By faith, we benefit from the gift given to Mary. God has helped Israel. God has helped us. See, it's through Mary's son that we can find the forgiveness of sin. It's through Mary's son that we can take hold of eternal life. It's through Mary's son that we get to experience God's holy strength and his holy love, his tender care for us, and his mighty justice. The gift given to Mary is a gift given to us. And so how will we respond this morning? Mary didn't sing this song just for her own benefit. 
she sang this song. And she told Luke, the author of this gospel, about it. And he wrote it down for our benefit. She sang this song for us all that we might join her in it. It's as if Mary has her mind in Psalm 34. It's as if she is saying, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And so here's how we're going to wrap up the service. Uh, Emily and Noble are going to come lead us in two songs of worship. That's how we're going to respond. We're reflecting this Christmas morning on what God has done. He has given us a gift in Jesus Christ, and we're going to respond by singing a song, like the people people of God have done throughout the ages. They have responded by singing, recounting what he has done. And giving him glory, we magnify the Lord together. We magnify him by recounting the promises that he has made and the knowledge that he will complete all that he has set out to do. So why don't we stand together? Let's stand. And I invite you, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together.